As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Hey, Ben. Hey, Matt. Uh, You know what I like? What do you like? Sushi. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> Matt, secret. Dear listener, Matt and I just got back from eating sushi together yeah. with another pastor here in the area who uh, is actually uh, one of our oldest friends from the town we live in. Yeah. When we first moved here, he, he reached out. He's he, like, uh, yeah. you think he's that old? You think he's like 90? Yeah, he's like in his hun- hundreds, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, he uh, He's like, uh, yeah, one of our... Longest. Longest. Friends. Uh, yes. He's been a friend for a long time. Um, anyway, we had, we had a good lunch. It was good. We did. Uh, good sushi lunch. So. Yeah. And uh, dear listener, we just had a treat and you are in for a treat mm-hmm. as well because this is a bonus episode. If mm-hmm. you uh, are keeping track, this is an extra episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. We normally only release once a week, but uh, this is an extra episode that we release. This was a conversation Gravity Live, a Gravity Commons live conversation that we had uh, with Eric Seibert to talk about his book, uh, Enjoying the Old Testament, A Creative Guide to Encountering Scripture. And we decided to release it here in the new year yeah, um, as a podcast episode. Yep. What do, yes. you, what do you remember from this conversation, Matt? Uh, I remember that, that well, listener, zuh, I remember mm. thinking that so many of us grew up um, reading the Old Testament in a certain way, mm-hmm. uh, and that's changed or shifted, right? Yeah. So whether it's uh, growing up as like believing in a literal seven-day creation and now not being sure of that, growing up uh, not being scandalized by uh, children dying in war, and now we are, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. just an evolving, unfolding relationship with 
mm-hmm. what Jesus referred to as the scriptures. Yeah. And uh, I think Eric is one of the wise guides that can help us work through that and reclaim it and even enjoy, even, even enjoy. enjoy reading it when it comes yeah. up in our morning devotional. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciated his approach because I do. Th- I think you're right that our, yeah, for a lot of us and probably for a lot of our listeners, there there has been a com- a complex relationship with the Old Testament. Yeah, um, that makes that makes us maybe eh, like uh, I don't know if I want to read Leviticus, mm. you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, his whole project is, uh, um, yeah, helping us sort of have fun with it uh, and learn to um, enjoy it, um, even as we learn to read it in new ways and. Um, experiment with it, which is, I think, you know, a much more ironically, maybe not ironically, but it's much more a uh, Jewish way actually of reading mm-hmm. the scriptures um, to sure sort of realize that they are, you know, it's not just like a, here's, here's what, here's all the propositions you're supposed to believe. Yeah. So should we get into it? Yeah. Yeah, we should. All right. Here's Eric. Dr. Eric Seibert is a professor of Old Testament at Messiah University and has served as the president of the Eastern Great Lakes Biblical Society. His most recent books are The Violence of Scripture, Overcoming the Old Testament's Troubling Legacy and Disarming the Church, Why Christians Must Forsake Violence to Follow Jesus and Change the World. Dr. Seibert joins us today to chat about his latest book, Enjoying the Old Testament, A Creative Guide to Encountering Scripture. Dr. Seibert, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And Mm -hmm. you obviously, uh, just just reading the titles, some of our listeners are probably familiar with these titles, have read them. But you write, uh, you've written a great deal on like complex, complicated, often difficult relationship that Christians have with many things in the Old Testament. What... What got you interested in this? Why, why devote so much time to this personally for you? Well, I, I began to love the Old Testament when I was myself a student uh, back then. It was Messiah College. And, um, you know, I love the Old Testament, but I also abhor violence. And so I kind of have a dilemma right there because there's lots of violence in the Old Testament. And so I, I needed to find some way to, to kind of think through and, and wrestle with some of these these texts that on the one hand have brought such life and benefit to me, but on the other hand, also give me pause and raise certain questions. So that has sort of been my own kind of personal journey to try to think through how we can continue to read these texts in ways that are constructive and, and useful. And, and to be honest with the, with the challenges they present. Yeah. Can I, if I can ask a follow-up question about that, when I was in seminary and I abhorred violence and I was coming into contact with these texts that maybe like scandalizes my conscience a bit. Um, what, what I was repeatedly taught was that um, uh, God gets to decide what's good, you don't. And so if God does this, it has to be good somehow. And this is voluntarism and nominalism. Uh, I came to find out, right? Um, but something didn't quite sit right with me with that explanation of of what to do with my conscience. And I'm wondering, did you encounter that same kind of argument or line of thought? And why was that not persuasive or compelling for you? Sure. I mean, for me, it was a, it was a very long, slow process. I grew up in a very conservative uh, church tradition. And I mean, as far as I was concerned, if the Bible said it about God, then that's that's what God was like. And just kind of believed that for, you know, my 
college journey, my seminary journey. I mean, at the end of seminary, I had produced a, a thesis about, you know, Yahweh's warrior in the Old Testament and still was kind of, you know, thinking that this is what the text says, this is what God is like. But it didn't really square with things I'd been taught about God from church and certainly doesn't fit with the idea of a God of love in many ways. And so there's this dissonance that, again, I had to kind of come to grips with that, even though the text have these portrayals and depictions, um, there are other um, voices that are saying something different about God and how can, how can I sort of work that through? Yeah. Yeah. I, Ben and I serve at a church. Uh, it's a liturgical church that uses the lectionary and the lectionary uh, has a lot of gifts to offer the church. One of the drawbacks I found is um, we have maybe a proclivity in the modern church for bite-sized pericopes, right? We want these little texts that can be read with, you know, no more than 60 seconds. Um, and I find that often um, the Old Testament is not written in a way that uh, is conducive to getting meaning or truth from bite-sized pericopes, right? So you got maybe have to read the entire Joseph narrative of Genesis to really understand what's going on there. In your mind, in my mind, that's one of the issues that makes it uh, reading the Old Testament as a Christian complicated. Uh, what are some of the other issues? We mentioned violence already. What are some of the other issues that create maybe distance or disconnect for us? I think for some people, when they enter the Old Testament, they just, to be frank, find it boring. I mean, they're not interested in, you know, hard to pronounce names. They're not interested in, you know, what kind of instructions you need to have to build a tabernacle. People are typically not Googling for that today. And they don't really, <laughs> we don't make animal sacrifices anymore. So it just feels like a lot of it's either boring or it's irrelevant and, and sort of why bother? Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think in some people's minds, it's, it's the, it's just like the preamble to the main event, which is Jesus in the New Testament, not taking anything away from Jesus in the New Testament. But if that's sort of the view you have, then it just is not, some people feel it's just not worth putting the energy into the working through it very carefully. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, can you relate to the uh, being bored? Yeah, I can. <laughs> there's, there's uh, you know, you, you get into uh, portions of numbers and Exodus and you're like, okay, okay, okay. This is, uh, this is a lot of instructions, you know, about the sacrifices, you know, and it is, it's sometimes hard to understand why it's, uh, why would this be relevant? So, yeah, totally relate. <laughs> Although I'm reading Esther right now, and uh, that's action-packed. That's a fascinating story. So it is, right? Um, yeah, yeah. One of the one of the only is it the only Old Testament book that doesn't mention Yahweh? I think God? It, yeah, it doesn't mention God. So yeah. it's an interesting one. Well, uh, for Ben's sake, maybe um, let's talk about Please. these words. <laughs> these words that you use. Um, in your book, you in the title is this word enjoy. Uh, you use the word fun in your book to describe how you're inviting us to approach the Old Testament, um, having fun with the Old Testament. S say more about why you chose to frame it this way. I think for some people, um, when it comes to the Old Testament, it's not just a matter of um, not understanding it, but there's it's just not a, even a desire to to read much of it. And so I, I, I'm sort of the persuasion that the things that we enjoy or the things we find fun are the things that we somehow make time to do. And so people don't tend to often enjoy the Old Testament. And they often, I think, live with uh, expectation from, from the church that this is important and we're supposed to read this. And so wanting to help them do that, I'm trying to think about are there ways that we can engage with these texts that are pleasurable, enjoyable, satisfying, that will kind of 
hook us and keep us coming back for more. So that's that's my that's my really my goal. That I, I want people to, to continue to to engage and re-engage these texts and keep finding more more value in them um, over the long haul. And now a word from a sponsor. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, a 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn to notice how God is already at work in your life, so you can participate more fully in the life God shares with us. It's a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying new practices. In the Gravity Formation Course, we go below the surface of our lives so that we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence. And to discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us towards holistic flourishing. More transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people all over the world in this formation framework. And it has helped many people to have a sense of God at work in their lives, to learn how to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. All right, let's get back into our conversation. I'm, I'm struck by, I want to return to a comment you made earlier about how some people treat the Old Testament as just a preamble to Jesus, right? And so um, all of it is basically maybe less important or derivative. And we get to the good stuff, you know, in Mark chapter one, um, or, or it's Matthew. Yeah, some uh, some approaches to the Old Testament then uh, tend to have like they erase the Jewishness of it, you know, uh, as though the only reason the Old Testament exists is to point to Jesus, and the only proper way to engage the Old Testament is from Jesus. And I, I've I've been waking up and um, and some of our listeners too to sort of some of the anti-Semitic impulses and conditioning we have as Western Christians, and I'm wondering how do we how have you discovered how to avoid erasing the Jewishness of the Hebrew scriptures while also allowing Jesus a say in our interpretation? Sure. And I think, I mean, there's certainly nothing wrong and it's actually, I think, commendable to try to, you know, make connections between themes in the two Testaments. But I do think there's, you know, the Old Testament has an integrity in and of itself. And I think it's okay to focus on some of these texts and just look at what they what they have to offer. Um, sometimes what they, they will do is they will illustrate themes and you know truths that we find elsewhere, but they'll do that in a story or in a way that maybe allows us to enter into it more deeply than you know just maybe a proposition um, or a verse here or there. And so I think we can kind of look at it on its own terms and we can appreciate the value that it has there um, without always having to have it tethered in a certain way to, you know, to the New Testament. Again, not that that's wrong to make those connections, but I, I think there's something just looking at the Old Testament in and of itself that's really, really helpful and valuable. Yeah. But what's been helpful for me too, Eric, is is coming back again and again that that Jesus wasn't a Christian. <laughs> you know? Like resisting the urge to make Jesus a Gentile. And I think that... Um, it, that's every time I sit down with the gospels or in the new Testament, I have to bring myself into that mind space um, to bring myself back into that realization. Um, and I, I think it's part of the assumption I make about Jesus that I don't even know I make. Um, and in your book, you talk about some assumptions we make about the old Testament and scripture in general that contribute to our ignoring or not understanding the old Testament. Would you name a few of those maybe that you feel like are most significant? Sure. I think, um, again, many of us, depending on our church tradition, we grew up um, in churches that 
give us the impression that uh, the Bible, Old Testament, should be easy to understand. And that you can just kind of just open it and read it, and you know you'll immediately understand what's there and be able to get something out of it. Um, and I think that that also there's a sense in which we should be always getting something out of it. That you know every time we open these pages, there should be sort of some aha moment, some great moment of enlightenment, or you know that God is going to directly give us a word for that day. Um, and I just think those expectations are unrealistic. I certainly think God does help us understand Scripture. I think God can and does speak through the pages of Scripture. But if we have an expectation or a demand that it has to yield this thing for me today, that's going to be pretty tough when you read through some genealogical lists in the Old Testament. I mean, it's just this hard to kind of crank that out that easily. I mean, there are places where those connections come more freely and are are more more natural. But there are other places where Again, you maybe just don't understand what you're reading or the application to the modern day is not apparent because these are customs and cultures that are far distant from us. And so there's a, there's a little bit more work and a little more effort that has to take place sometimes um, as we engage these texts. Maybe uh, maybe we can double click on that um, effort and that work um, and maybe some of those assumptions um, specifically about maybe the boring parts of the Bible that we mentioned earlier, the genealogies and the instructions for building a tabernacle and you know things like that. Um, you've got an entire chapter in this book on laws and regulations uh, and such, you know, those kinds of things um, that sort of, uh, they sort of uh, sink our New Year's resolutions, right? <laughs> January 1st, we're going to read through the Bible, and then we hit, man, we hit Exodus, and we're like, oh my gosh, this went from an interesting bunch of stories to uh, a bunch of instructions that don't seem relevant for my life. Um, so yeah, so how can we change our approach to boring texts? It's a great question. Um, I think for me, at least part of it is trying just to ask a general question when I get into those sections that are that are not very scintillating to say, like, what what is this about? So I'll give you an example from Leviticus. So the first mm-hmm. seven chapters of, of Leviticus are really all about sacrifice. And for most modern readers, that's not the that's not top on their list of, of things they're interested in reading more about. Mm-hmm. But as I think about sacrifice, this was at the very heart of ancient Israel's worship. I mean, this is how they worshiped. And so that makes me think, hmm, what might this suggest to me about worship? Like, what can I learn about worship from this? Even though I'm not going to go to my church with a lamb and put it on the altar, there are, there are still things in here that can be useful. You know, for example, and it might be so obvious, it feels like it doesn't need to be said, but Worship in ancient Israel involved the worshiper. Like they had to actually bring the animal from their flock. They were part of the process of it being slaughtered. And that was part of their act of worship. And so it makes me think about as a worshiper myself, like how can I get more actively involved in the process of worship? And they would kind of use all of their senses sometimes. I mean, how can more of my senses become involved in the practice of worship? And so those things to me strike me as like there is relevance here. There, there are points of theological reflection that are useful, even if the specifics aren't the same uh, for me today. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's part of, I think, what contributes to my um, lack of interest in the Old Testament is my is my distance from certain assumptions that the biblical authors just made. So the cosmology of the ancient world, um, the complicated way that sacrifice was understood in terms of some kind of chemistry slash spirituality slash like there's an alchemy that existed in how blood, what blood did and what holiness is and what profane is that doesn't exist for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um what are some of the resources you have a, in the back, you have like a list of resources, but could you give us like one or two of your best resources to narrow the gap between the ancient world and how they understood reality and our world and how we do? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think on a general scale, I, mean, I always like to encourage people to have like 
just a single good Bible commentary or Bible dictionary at the ready. Because then when you kind of come across a practice, whether it's casting lots um, or whether it's like, what is Sheol? Um, you've got something at your fingertips, especially if it's like a Bible dictionary that can kind of help you understand a little bit about that cultural practice or that cultural belief. And that can improve your ability to understand what it is you're reading. So I think having a tool like that um, at your fingertips can be really, really useful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's, we're going to, we're going to have a commons uh, over time where we're going to actually take uh, a text and you're going to help us uh, read it creatively and you're going to help us enjoy it. I can't wait. Have fun. Um, and, and it'll be really nice to see Ben enjoy the old Testament again. Just as yes, finally, I've, I've, I've been, been, I've been looking forward to this for a really long time. Hoping yeah, so. you would, but let's <laughs> maybe let's, let's wrap up uh, Eric, this conversation by talking about, I think, you know, boring, being bored is one thing, mm -hmm. but being offended is another. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's what scandalizes us the most. Not that genealogies are boring, but that there's some parts of scripture that seem to not be as good as we are, <laughs> you know, and we're no, we're no great shakes. And you talk about three reasons the old Testament bothers, bothers us. You say, you say it offends our morals. The one I just referred to that it, it conflicts with our view of God and that texts have been used to harm others. Um, and I know this is part of, uh, and a whole other book you've written, right. But, um, what would be your advice for someone who is offended by scripture should we feel guilty about that? And and what do we do if we don't want to just reject the Old Testament, but we also don't want to gaslight our conscience and call evil good? I think I think maybe the first thing I would just say is I think it's really important that we that we are fully honest with what bothers us in the Bible. Um, that we don't need to whitewash it. We don't need to make it pretty. We should say, yeah, this this troubles me, and, and here's why. And to be able to then ask questions about that, that can be either honest, sincere questions. I think what I found that sometimes, again, um, especially with young people, if they've got these questions and they start raising them in church context, if the church is not comfortable with those questions, they kind of shut them down. And that, that's what drives people away from the church. So we don't want to do that. So I think, again, being really honest with what's there, what, what troubles you, what bothers you. Um, and then again, I think part of it is there are things that are going to bother us in the text because they're talking about people and people, they just, they do bad stuff. And so... <laughs> It's going to trouble us. And, and the fact that it's in the Bible, I, to me, that's less troubling because I say, yeah, I understand that people are sinful and they do bad things. And sure, some of these passages are going to be, they're going to trigger uh, for some people, maybe even some trauma responses, especially passages that deal with sexual violence. So, you know, I want to be sensitive to that. And that that yeah. is something, you know, you need to think and work through carefully. Um, I do think the texts that portray God in ways that we don't envision God are, again, passages that have been wrestled with for thousands of years. So it's not just a, you know, 21st century kind of modern sensibility kind of thing. It's, you know, way back in the early church, people were struggling with these as well. And I guess I find it's helpful just to look at sort of a broad range of options. Like there are a number of different ways people have um, tried to respond to those kinds of passages and, and the pitches of God that, that are there. I, mean, I have my own particular way that I like to do that, but I think it's it's also helpful for people to see there's a there's a there's a range of options here. People come down different places, but but this is not something new to them. There's not something wrong with them for feeling uncomfortable with these texts. It's it's just the reality that that we have to have to deal with. We'll be right back.
Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yep. Thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep. I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow. That's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Let's get back to the show. I wasn't planning to do this, Eric, but I want to I want to test something out and with you, and then you tell me if I'm you tell me if it's wrong or bad, and then I'll recant here right on this podcast. Uh, I was thinking about my formation in primarily white evangelical spaces as a Christian, and how we tend to approach Scripture as telling us what to think. Right? It's the Word of God, and it's it's a direct. And so the Bible says that I believe it. That settles it. Right? That's the kind of thing. Um, and I was the more that I read the Old Testament even enjoy the Old Testament. Um, I, I'm struck by how the Hebrew conception of revelation is a bit more complex, right? So you have, you have, for instance, you have in Deuteronomy this, uh, look, if you do good things, you're going to get blessed. And if you do bad things, well, you're going to get cursed. That's just the way the world works, right? Um, and that's there, and that's really clear, and there's no black, and, there's no gray area there, you know what I'm saying? It's like, this is what happens. And then you get... Um, you get um, Job, 
right? Which is this minority report, maybe, or this contra narrative, which is you can't look at your life and assume that somebody's doing good or bad by what happens to them. And so it seems like the Hebrew imagination isn't like a white evangelical church I grew up in, that they actually delight in texts that have tensions and contrasts and even conflict. And uh, could you maybe speak to, A, am, am I off the rocker? Am I off the boat? Did I just leave Christianity? You know, uh, and, and if I'm if I'm not like out of the, uh, out of the, you know, not a, hetero, a heretic now, like what, what can we learn from that way of seeing revelation and appreciating uh, contrasting voices? I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I think a lot of people when they read scripture, they they look at it as propositional truth. And that you can just sort of dip in, grab a verse, you know, and here is here is truth in this verse. I, I think it's more complicated than that, like you say, and get, with the example that you've given, what it looks like to me is that the Old Testament has canonized a conversation. Right? Mm. There are diff- there are different opinions in Israel about yeah divine human interaction and how these things work. And, you know, Deuteronomy 28, you have a whole long chapter that's saying just what you said, you know, if you're, if you live right, God's going to, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and live long. And if you disobey God, you're going to, you know, be poor, sickly, and die prematurely. And book of Job says, that's just doesn't, that's not how the way, that's not how the world works. And so there's, there's tension there, which then I think invites us into that dialogue to say, well, how do we, how do we think about that? Like how, how does the world work? How, how does God interact with human beings? And it invites us to, to think theologically. So it's a terrific resource for conversation about really, really important questions. But sometimes those questions don't get a final answer within the pages of the Bible. Um, mm. and that's I think, what for some people is disturbing because they want to know like, well, I just want to know what the answer is. And it's like, well, the Bible says, here's the question. And here, here are ways people have worked around this question. You, you now in your moment, in your space and time with your community of faith, you enter into that conversation and, and think through that as well. Mm. Yeah, I've uh, I've always found it like knowing what the book of Job is doing uh, kind of, you know, over the course of what is it, 42 chapters. Um, I've always find it somewhat ironic when someone quotes like something from the book of Job that's just like a small piece of like one of Job's friend's speeches, <laughs> which it's like at the end of it, it's like this whole dialogue where they're, where they're like, no, no, you must have sinned. Just repent, you know, just like tell God what you did. Like you must have sinned because this is how God works in the world. And Job's like, I know that's how God works in the world, but I haven't sinned. And I don't know what's going on, <laughs> you know, and, and but the, none of it gets resolved until the end where God says, uh, you guys have spoken foolishly, but Job spoke wisely. And so anyway, it's ironic, right? That we would quote you know, these passages that are like, oh, at the end of the book, God says that's foolishness. It's <laughs> yeah. actually foolishness. Oh, no, you're so right. Because anyway. I mean, that, that at the end, is sort of like your interpretive key. Like these, you know, your friends have not spoke right as Job has. And so you don't want to take the friend's words as, you know, as the truth. It's, it's right. actually saying it's not. It's not. Yeah. yeah. Even though they this, quote, you know, Proverbs and, and Psalms, you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. a fascinating book. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. This is what I was referring to earlier, Ben, by like the art, our fetishing of bite-sized chunks of scripture mm-hmm. um, inhibits us from reading the Old Testament in the way it was intended to be read yeah. and mm-hmm. and enjoyed, as Eric's talking about. And I think it's much more like if you go to like a um, like a Star Trek convention or a Star Wars convention, and everybody dresses up and everybody knows every storyline and they know the 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 books that have been written that are extra canonical and the books that are in the canon and there's debates yeah. about which book. Like this is how people. This is how people appreciated the Old Testament, 
right? It was it was a world they lived in and inhabited, and it was their pop culture, their entertainment, their religion, their politics, their law, right? Their cosmology, and I think we suffer from not being Trekkies. You know, we suffer from not under have being to being able to call the world of the Old Testament to mind like they would call the world of Star Trek to mind. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Eric, it's been a joy to have you. The book, again, is called Enjoying the Old Testament, A Creative Guide to Encountering Scripture. I, we didn't even get into, um, this book is this book is um, really great in the sense of naming the issue and then giving us creative ways to read, which we're going to do in the comments here in a moment. But you drop so many like exegetical interpretive nuggets throughout this book that I, I actually want to like, I actually want a book with all those interpretive nuggets somewhere, like uh, because they're so yeah, they're so precious and they're so good. They're illustrations of what you're talking about, um, but they're just um, it's a gift, man. So thanks for writing this book and thanks for being with us today. Well, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Well, that was uh, that was succinct and delightful. Mm-hmm. A succinct and delightful conversation with Eric. Yeah, Cyber. Yeah. Cybert. I had yeah. to practice his last name a few times before yeah. we started. Well, it was mis. This was we we talked about this in the uh, before we hit record, but it was it was misspelled in our like our the the, the I was before the E in all of our mm-hmm. back end documentation about this, so we had somehow misspelled it. Which the I before E would be Siebert. E yep. before I is Cybert. Yep. And that's that is how it is spelled. So anyway, today I learned a little. Yeah, just a little window into. Uh, Spelling snafus. Little behind the scenes, nope. little behind the behind curtain the for you there. Yeah. That's how the sausage is made. Yeah, yeah. Just you know, put that in your. Uh, um, I think <laughs> put that in your sock and thing, smell it. Only, put, put that, that in your, sock in and your navel and yeah. touch it. Yeah. What what yeah. is the phrase? I think it's, yeah. I think it's that one. Put it's that in your navel like and touch it's it. Something like that. Yeah. All right. Um, no, but I think the the most fascinating idea that I I want I just I still want to explore. This is why I was excited about his second book. The most fascinating idea that he talked about, and he talked about this. Um, actually, no, he talked about this in the overtime, didn't he? Yeah. Um, so sorry. This uh, the, if you're listening, if you're only listening to the podcast, <laughs> you actually don't. You actually didn't hear this. You're I not. Just, but I keep thinking about it. Okay, um, just picture anyway. Ben with his thumb. F- Firmly affixed to this nose and his fingers mm-hmm. standing straight up and wiggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that that's the sign of something? something that's the right? sign of like na 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 na. Yeah, yeah. Remember that? Didn't hear it. Yeah. Um, but it it is. I'll just tease this. Maybe this will want make people want to buy, buy the book uh, or become Join the members comments. of the comments. Yeah, there you go. Go to gravityleadership.com slash comments. Uh, seriously though, if you want to become a member of our comments, you get access to these conversations. But. Uh, the idea that I've heard before from uh, Chris Green and others that the character of Yahweh in the Old Testament is not necessarily always identical to Yahweh, the the God of heaven and earth. Hmm. And that idea is super fascinating to me. And yet these stories where Yahweh maybe is playing a character who would never do something that the real Yahweh would do, are given to us as canonical scripture. Yeah. And so learning what to do with those stories is uh, an interesting one. Um, in the overtime we did, you know, he kind of gave us a, uh, a way of looking at the story of Abraham and Isaac, Abraham uh, almost sacrificing his son Isaac, and how to think about that story in, 
in a new way with some new lenses. Uh, and yeah, it's just a fascinating thing. I think it's it's a it can be a difficult thought for a lot of us who grew up thinking that the Bible gives us propositional truth about God, like one hundred percent of the time. Like yeah. that's what it's meant to do, um, rather than tell us a story that we're invited into, that God speaks to us through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, just a lot there. Yeah. Anyway, it's good to so. hang out, Ben. Just you and I. No Chrissy today. It, it was good. I mean, don't let Christy hear you say that. Well, no, I mean, it was it's great to I'm not just have saying Christy it was, it, I wasn't saying it was good for Christy not to be here. Oh, I said okay, it was just right. good to be with you. Oh, okay. All right. right. Well, that's, that's clarifying. Yeah. For, for all of us, for all of our sakes. Yeah. Our listeners as well. So. Yeah. So anyway, did, hey, did I mention to you a, a friend of mine um, from college got kidnapped mm-hmm. by a group of mimes? Did I tell you about this? <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I would think you would have. Man, well, that's crazy. It, it just happened a few days story. ago. They they yeah, did yeah. unspeakable things to him. <laughs> I was gonna get I was actually I had one loaded up that I was gonna I was gonna get you with a joke here. I was gonna oh, I was yeah? gonna pull it on you unsuspectingly, but oh. uh you beat me to it. So. <laughs> anyway. Maybe you need to save it till next time then. <sighs> I guess I'll save it till next time. Oh it would be this would be a fun one for it to have Christy on. Oh, I avoided for. several jokes that I have in the that queue because you want, Christy wasn't you want here. Christy to be able to oh, yeah. hear them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Christy's response to these jokes is the best part of my week. Chef's so. kiss. <laughs> All right, everybody. Truly. All right, y'all. See you next time. Until next time. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles that we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. Our show is produced by Ben Sturkey and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sturkey edits and mixes the podcast. You can check out his work at aaronsturkey.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 